Week two in the Pac-12 is here and conference play is starting. We are so excited. Now, this is where the rubber meets the road for most teams in the Pac-12 and we separate the contenders from the pretenders and the potential national champions. I'm George Reister with Ralph Amston and this is the Pac-12 Apostles. Ralph, week two in the Pac-12. We got conference games coming up. Like, are you excited about this week? Yeah, I am. I mean, conference games this early. Who else does that? I know there's a couple out there, but I mean, not just conference games this early, but really, really important ones. So it's it, it's kind of hard to to you know, like a couple other conferences out there, take take this week uh, off. But then at the same time, we do we do have some cupcake games, and hopefully. Uh, these teams can feast on those cupcakes and we don't have to worry about the storylines of, you know, Pac-12 losing to teams that, that they shouldn't a couple of weeks in a row. I'm excited about what can potentially happen with the Pac-12 schedules, being that conference games are now allowed to be played earlier and you can also play non-conference games later in the year all the way into November now. So that's going to give the conference way more flexibility going in the future because I always talk about how the SEC crafts their schedules and the Pac-12 just sets their schedules. Then the SEC makes sure that their marquee matchups have a bye week in between. They have an easy game in November and now the Pac-12 can start to put some of those conference get those non-conference games later in the year, kind of in between to break up some of the schedules. That way, if you are Stanford and you have a guy like Walker Little injured, you give him an extra week and you don't have to risk losing to a bad team. You now give yourself a better opportunity to run the table and run the gauntlet and always put your best foot forward. So are you in favor of the stuff that Alabama does, like playing tea and crumpet state in November and stuff like that? No, no, no. Dude, I, I made a video. It's on my Twitter now, on the YouTube page, on unafraidshow.com, about how I feel bad for SEC fans and Alabama fans in particular. I'm like, you have one of the best college football teams of all time. And of the last 15 years, you are the bell cow, the premier program in college football. Yet, over the last two seasons, eight of your 24 comp of not sorry, eight of the 24 games on your regular season schedule have been uncompetitive, non-competitive. Like the teams have zero chance. They aren't power five schools except for one. And you're just sitting there just like 33% of your schedule. That's how much money are these fans wasting? Like the, they are wasting two attack attack of the lowest talent. They are wasting Quinn Williams, who's now in the NFL. You have all these guys, but and you give lip service saying, I want to play 12 games. Everybody should play 12 games. You won't even play 10. And you are Nick Saban. You are in control of this schedule. It's set so far out, but you've been at Alabama over a decade. So you've had time to fix it. And if you look at Alabama's future schedules, nothing about it says that 10 Power 5 games are coming. And it damn sure doesn't say that 12 Power 5 games are coming. So guess what? Stop giving a slip service and actually play somebody. Because if I were an Alabama fan, I'd be pissed off. So since you're already upset, let's get into our Casting Stones segment this week. Because I, I don't know if you knew this, George. And happy anniversary, by the way. But it is 10 years to the day since LeGarrette Blunt knocked out Byron Howe on the field after Oregon-Boise State back in 2009. What do you remember from that day? I, w- I remember that was Chip Kelly's first game at Oregon as head coach. And they lost to Boise State, I think, 8-19. to 19. I didn't even look. Th- or 8-17. to 17. I didn't even look this up. I just distinctly remember this game because every, everybody was like, oh, they lost to Boise State. Yeah, but it turns out that Boise State is something special. Boise State went down to Tallahassee this week. They've had Chris Peterson's been the head coach, got a new head coach now. I mean, and they're still rolling. They lost their defensive coordinator. They were supposed to play Florida State in Jacksonville. Game got moved to Tallahassee. They lost a 
practice day uh, because of the hurricane, and then they played Florida State in Dope Walker's in Dope Campbell Stadium in Tallahassee and beat on Florida State. Like that's who Boise State is. So that loss is not quite as much shame now, but it felt shameful then. But Byron Hout taught everybody, I think, a very valuable lesson who saw that. And there were some people who were horrified at it, but I didn't really, I didn't really fault LeGarrette Blunt that much. I was like, dude, you run up with your mouth running. Like you can't come after a heated game, pointing in somebody's face, laughing, talking trash. You run up, you better have your helmet on because you you run your mouth, you get knocked out. And my dad told me a very valuable lesson that I think that everybody should know. Everybody should know. Rule number one in life, don't let your mouth write checks that your ass can't cash. And that's what Byron Hout did. He wrote a check with his mouth, his ass couldn't cash, and he got KO'd, buddy. I, I like that you brought up the helmet thing because, I mean, I'm a firm believer in that, right? Like, talk shit, get hit. So, like, keep to yourself. If, if, you, don't, if you don't want to be in a confrontation, don't be confrontational. Um, that's why I drive around. <laughs> I like that. In Arizona, if I wake up in a foul mood, I put on open-toed shoes if I'm going to drive anywhere. Because I know I'm not, I'm not trying to get any road rage incidents with my like little piggy showing, because I know it won't it won't end well for me. So like that, he had that helmet bravery on with with no helmet on. And the thing is, Byron Hout already like they already won that argument. Like they, the fact that that game is remembered for Byron Hout getting knocked out in front of Chris Peterson, by the way. Like he fell into Chris Peterson's arm. <laughs> yeah, he did. He was like, like he was like, help me, Jesus. Like he was like Romeo or Juliet after drinking poison, just sort of like collapsed. <laughs> he just fell into his arms. Yeah, and so and so that this gives me another question though. Um, and and first of all, uh, Legarrette Blunt had negative rushing yardage in that game. Oregon got wrecked by Boise State. Like it should have been remembered that that was the knockout punch that was delivered. But I have this question for you. If Byron Hout doesn't go down on that punch, is this something that we even remember or talk about? Is it that he got knocked out? Yes. Yes, that's the fact. <laughs> that was the part about it. it. LeGarrette Blunt ended up missing what the next – I don't think he played again until Oregon State. So he missed the next 10 games, partially – because Chip made him do some things to get reinstated and he took a little longer to do some of those things. But overall, you know, he missed significant time. But if Byron Hout didn't get knocked out, then no, no, absolutely not. He probably misses two games at the most. And this is kind of a non-story in history. But this, like, it's one of those times where you look at, LeGarrette Blunt, and you're saying, all right, this may have been a game-changing moment for him in life because had he not done this, something else may have come up at a different time. And LeGarrette Blunt has gone on to have a fabulous NFL career, multiple-time Super Bowl champion. Like He hasn't really been in trouble besides the smoking weed thing. And aside from that, like, this could have been a career-defining moment where he was like, ah, you know, not going to do anything like this again, not going to risk my livelihood, not going to risk my future, not going to put anything in jeopardy. I am just going to, you know, play straight up and do the right thing. And, things. I mean, Byron Hout went 50-3 and three at Boise State, two-year starter, second team all Mountain West. No, he didn't. He only went 0-1 that, yeah. is what he did. He went 0-1. And, and, and what, is it, what is it about us and our culture that, like, when somebody takes a punch, we were like, oh, I wonder what they did or said. Like, because I remember Tevin Hood at University of Arizona punching a teammate in the face on the sideline. I think the, the dude's name was Cody Ippolito, uh, who I think went on to grad transfer to Utah eventually. Um, and I, I remember like the immediate thought and the immediate narrative down here in Arizona was like, man, I wonder what Cody said. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, yeah, well, people get people don't realize that there are a lot more fights that go on amongst teams than people realize. I like, every year 
on every team, there's at least one or two fights, at least, because there's so much testosterone going on. And men have a tendency to fight about three or four things. Number one on the list is always, number one is always a woman. A woman will get a a man, not her fault, but surrounding the actions and relationships and things other people do and she did and all of that stuff, that causes more fights between men than anything else. Second thing is money. Owing somebody money, not paying somebody money, cheating somebody out of money, that will get people in fights in college because somebody not paying for the Uber, somebody not paying for somebody cheating in a dice game, a card game, something like that. And then the third thing is not just about the money, but about cheating. If you are a person who has felt like that you cheated in even a game of Monopoly, we'll get it, give, we'll get people in a fight. I almost got in a fight with a teammate over college, over the EA game, over college, dude. We got in an argument because we were talking trash and it just got heated. That's the other thing. And the last thing is food. You mess with somebody's food. You will get in a fight. You bad things can happen. I almost got in a fight with my best friend to this day when we were roommates in college, Sammy Parker, over toaster strudel, (laughs) over toaster strudel. Ralph, this is the most outrageous story. So look, um, we were living in the same apartment and we would have some frozen burritos in the freezer and we had toaster strudel. I didn't love toaster strudel, but Sammy loved toaster strudel. So we would always have it. And what he would do is I would always come downstairs and he would be in the kitchen making food and all the burritos or all the toaster strudel would be sitting out like the whole entire package of 20 or however many it is. And I say, Sammy, look, brother, can you please just take out what you're going to use? That way stuff's not thawing all the way out. And then refreezing, thawing out, refreezing, because then it gets ice in it and it kind of messes up the taste and stuff can go bad. And he was like, no, no, I I don't know how many I'm going to want. So, you know, so and I want them to thaw out that way they then cook more evenly. I'm like, Sammy, come on, man, please. Like then and and one. These are two. Hold on. These are two really good points. I don't know whose side I'm on. And I'm like, Sammy, please, dude. And one day he did it again. And I just was like, listen, this is too disrespectful. You are just disrespecting me as a man. So I went off and we ended up wrestling and almost coming to blows about toaster strudel and frozen burritos. So that's how these things happen. But thank God it didn't because, you know, Sammy's a grudge holder. So we might not be friends to this day. Well, I mean, I've I, down here covering Arizona State. There's all that stuff that you can't report, and I mean, there, there, there's uh, stories of a of a fight between a linebacker and O lineman on an elevator. Imagine not being able to get off the <laughs> elevator while two guys are going at it, like right there with you with you inside. Or you know, I, we we had one uh, one player down here switch from offense to defense, and uh, I think the whole reason he did it was so that he could hit. <laughs> an offensive player that he didn't like playing alongside. They ended up in a big fist fight and they were two, I mean, two players that went on to be, you know, uh, to, to have a cup of coffee in the NFL. And so, you know, it's, it, it seems, it seems inevitable, but I mean, when it happens on camera like that, I mean, Byron, how it's gone on, he he's, he's like in his seventh year of being an assistant coach. I think he's the D line coach at Montana state. But for some reason, every time I hear that dude's name, I just see him sort of crumpling to the ground in front of Chris Peterson. See, but that's a see, that's one of those moments in life. I'm telling you, no matter how good of a coach he gets, he can never be fully respected. It and I know it's sad and it's bad. However, him getting knocked out is going to be a prohibitor from him getting some big time jobs. I'm telling you. Because people still have that image in their mind and they're like, ooh, are the players gonna respect him? Or if they get mad or they're going to jump bad with them, like, 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 what you going to do, coach? I'll knock you out, too. Knock you out like Debo knocked you out. <laughs> you <know? laughs> so, I, I mean, real talk, if you were – so if Byron Hout was your defensive line coach, 
or Randall McDaniel was your or Haloti Nada was your oh uh, was your defensive line coach? Which one would you be less likely to try? I mean, I, yeah, yeah. I, I'm. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm in a situation where, like, I, I think that you know sometimes people learn those lessons. And you see people get knocked out in the UFC, they fight another 15 years or whatever. They just learn how to grapple or something. So I'm, I'm me personally, I'm not messing. I got my open-toed shoes on in every situation. <laughs> okay, one last story before we get into everything. So there was a dude who I played with at Oregon. And mind you, I'm telling this story from a place of growth as a 38-year-old man and when you look back at some of the things that you did when you or said when you were 20 years old, you're like, wow, I was an asshole. Like, that wasn't cool at all. So there's this kid that came in a year after me, and his name was, or two years after me, his name was Willie Walden. He was from, like, the Seattle area. He was a big, like, 6'8", two, like, 280. Like, he was a big dude. Like he was a big, big dude, but he was kind of soft body, not kind. He was a soft body when he came in. So like you couldn't see any of his muscles. He was just a big, you know, like he was just a big dude, but he wasn't muscular. So <laughs> all the tight ends and he wasn't on the, on the field. His stance was super small. He wasn't strong, all that stuff. So he had a reputation around the team so they would either call him big soft serve or big charmin and this was his time the whole time there he ended up transferring out to montana and he played fast forward a bunch of years um i'm in the in the league toward the end of my career i started dating this lady and turns out her best friend in the whole world is willie walden and I didn't even put the connection together for a while. And it turns out, and I told her, I was like, oh my God, Willie Walden? Because she she said he played tight end in Montana, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, wait, is this Willie Walden? She was like, oh my God, you know Willie. I was like, okay, slow down. Willie hates me. <laughs> I was like, Willie hates me. <laughs> because, And she was like, why? And I told her, she was like, oh my God, you were so mean. And turns out, and she, I was like, what the heck is Willie up to now? Willie Walden had got himself in amazing shape and was a UFC fighter, like a real life in the octagon fight. Like you can pull him up now, knocking a couple people out. And I was just like, yeah, see, um, see, I'm going to actually talk to Willie and be like, Willie, look. You're welcome. I apologize for things. No, nah, you I need said. to say you, you know, you're welcome. There's there's <laughs> no way he's a UFC fighter without you guys roasting him constantly. Like exactly, exactly. But but at the same time, I just wanted him to know, you know, like that was a long time ago, and I know that that's not my place to to you know. Everybody always wants to go back about their own stuff and say, you know what, I'm I'm kind of over this. You should be too. <laughs> And so <laughs> I was like, just just so you know, when we do interact, because we have a friend in common that that I don't I don't want to smoke. We are grownups now. That that was kind of what I was trying to get at. And but we never ran across each other again. But he still does hate me, though. Uh, so we can get into the game action now. Week two is kind of a lot like week one. You know, you have a couple intriguing matchups you have a couple conference matchups and you know and some games that have packed 12 teams lose it's going to be ugly and we will start with the game i know you're super excited about ralph because it's played on a friday night a weekday a weekday so not only do you have to watch a game on a weekday you have to watch a game that doesn't even have a line on a weekday arizona state is playing Sacramento State. And I cannot for any reason figure out why this game is played on a Friday. It is not on ESPN. It is on Pac-12 Network. 
Ralph, what do you have about what redeeming value do you have of this game? I don't know. I don't know because it's it, it takes the kids again. It takes the kids outside of the routine that they should be in, making them play on a, on a Friday. I'm never a fan of that. <clears throat> um, it uh, it's against a team that's had their first game against NAIA team, so it's not like it's not like Sacramento State's going to be properly prepared to jump into the freezing cold water of being at Sun Devil Stadium. Freezing cold water, by the way. It's going to be like 108 degrees at kickoff uh, of of playing at Arizona State um, on a Friday night. And then it puts Arizona State in the same situation that Sacramento State was in with Arizona State having to go to Lansing next week. And so I don't know what good this does for anybody other than it just basically being a scrimmage, allow you to run some of your plays. But then do you want to be in a position where you're putting stuff on film? Um, I, I don't see a ton of upside. Hopefully everybody can just stay healthy. They can get this game over with quick, and then they can put out their thing where they bragged about playing. You know, they they put out a thing where they bragged about playing twenty five freshmen in the last game and said, like, see, if you want to play early, this is where you got to come. But like, people forget the reason they had to play twenty five freshmen is because thirty one scholarship players have left since they hired Herm Edwards, and the logic of saying, oh, you played 25 freshmen, that means if I'm a freshman, I'll get to play. No, it doesn't. It means that that's 25 people ahead of you who all got playing time, who are who are all going to be at the university for at least the next three years. And so um, I, I don't know much about the way. It's cool that they did what they did, but the way that they're promoting it, I don't know if it's going to have the effect in recruiting that they want it to have. It's really not going to have a good effect playing on a Friday night so the kids can't watch or the kids can't come and be on the sideline because there's a lot of real good local uncommitted kids, you know, that that, that want to come and watch these games and can't now. Um, and so I don't know. I just uh, there's not a whole lot about this game that I like. I'm not going to be able to watch until I get back from covering two or three high school games. So I'll be I'll be turning this game on on the DVR at one in the morning <laughs> because the, I I gotta you know I, I gotta go out and see some of these prospects and find out who's next. Friday night are for high school. They're not for college football. I'm not going to this game. For sure. And, and I mean, if Arizona State was playing Arizona or Stanford or any other Pac-12 team, then you would be in. And maybe you can see some sort of value of them playing because then it would be on ESPN or something, right? But now you're just sitting there like, okay, what? What? We're watching Sacramento State. And the stadium is going to be what? Half full because they're because it's a Friday night, and you know, and it, this is a leave at halftime game. I see why it says the tickets are as low as six bucks. Well, I got um, I got a so quick I got a quick Eric, question for you, George, because there there was probably I was yeah. at the game on Thursday against Kent State. Maybe twenty five thousand showed up. Maybe my guess would be under. But with tickets sold, Arizona State announces the attendance is forty seven thousand. To me, attendance means you attended. It doesn't mean tickets sold. How do you feel about schools announcing like the amount of tickets sold instead of the ones that got scanned? Because I think that that's I, I think that's incredibly deceptive. You know, I, I think that there should be two separate numbers because when you it, it takes away your credibility when you announce forty seven thousand tickets sold when at kickoff all of the videos of Arizona State running out onto the field showed them running out to an empty field, like empty stands. Yeah, it looked it looked like warmups when they first ran out. It is disingenuous. It is um, th- those are stats and numbers that they want to use uh, for future publications because people won't remember how the stadium really looked. You know, like like the attendance numbers should be the people who turn through the turnstiles to come to the game because the reality is most of the people who have tickets are coming and. When I was at school and at Oregon, there aren't times where the stadium is not full. So I can't even I, my, my brain does not even comprehend because when it, when I was in school or when Oregon travels or because the games I usually go to are big games. So there aren't whether even when Oregon's not playing, whether it's UCLA, USC, you know, uh, whoever UCLA is playing Oklahoma. It, next week, I'll be at that game. I'm just sitting there like, okay, I don't really go to too many games where the stadiums aren't like packed or cracking or this is a big deal. So I'm just sitting here like, I don't even understand that as a player. I have no comprehension 
of the stadiums that I played in not being full. I can't even imagine it. It sounds like it sucks. You're in there. You're in there playing a, a game against the same amount of people who would be there for the spring game or who would be there for a glorified scrimmage. So that's terrible. So if you're Arizona State, the only thing you can hope is that nobody gets hurt and that some kind of way you get ready for Michigan State next week. Uh, Let's go on to Northern Illinois travels to Utah. Utah is a 22 and a half point favorite. This is not quite as bad of a game to me, of a non-conference game to me, because this is a MAC team. Northern Illinois has gone to bowl games. Utah played BYU last week. I I don't hate it as much, even though you know, like it's gonna, it should be a blowout because Northern Illinois played Illinois State last week and only won twenty four to ten. And they don't have the same type of defense as Utah has. So, what are you looking for in this game? Well, I mean, these two teams played last year. Um, they got they actually <laughs> scheduled this as a home and home. So, uh, and if you remember this, why I don't know. I mean, I, I, the, the what I remember about this game last year is that Utah had seven points going into the fourth quarter. So for for them to be the level of favorite that they are right now, I mean, this is one of Zach Moss's worst games of the year. They couldn't get anything going offensively, um, and so you know this is uh, this is maybe because they're at home. I, I don't know how hostile of a place Northern Illinois is um, to go in and play, but I know that they like to play run. Uh, they like to run the ball and play some defense. And so I expect this to kind of be a slow-paced game. I don't expect Utah to be in a situation like they were last year where they needed to score 10 points in the fourth quarter in order to win 17-6. But I I definitely don't see this being, you know, Utah growing leaps and bounds from last year to this year where they go out and put up 50 or something like that. I still think this will be kind of a hard-fought game. because I mean, Utah has a tendency to turn everything into uh, its version. Like, they, they should be able to go in and blow teams out but they want to turn things into that like cloud of dust type stuff. Uh, what's that line from? Uh, have you ever seen Blade, where he says, you know, some mfers are always trying to ice skate uphill? Like you, I feel like Utah always kind of makes things a little bit harder than they need to be, just because the way, the style they play will keep somebody else in the game. Because if you put together a thirteen play drive where you're running the ball three four yards every single time, like. You know, Northern Illinois is it, you're not getting scored on in that in that time frame, and so I think it'll be an obvious dominant win. But dominating for Oregon or for Utah could essentially be like a, a 15, 16 point win. That's the thing I don't love about Utah, and that's the thing that scares me about their potential to win the Pac-12 and their potential to possibly where a couple people have picked them to go to the college football playoff. I just don't see it. They don't have enough offensive explosion. And if you aren't a team that can put teams away, if you can't put mediocre competition away, or when a team starts to make mistakes, if you can't pile it on big, you are not a team that is that can win a conference or win a national championship. It's just not possible. Like you have to have that sort of explosive quality to be able to do that. And and Utah has not displayed that at all. They are overcomers. Like they are habitual overcomers. They're that person in life who always has something wrong going on. Like who always has to be, you know, like the dog dies, mom is sick, kids not doing well, got fired from their job. Like they're always having something that they have to overcome. Like they never have any good times. That's who Utah is. They just cannot just go out and dominate. They have a trouble being out front. And and if I'm Utah in this game, I want – like I don't see them covering this 22-point line, but if they do, that that's where I would be looking at this game as a positive, is if Utah can put up 45, 50 points in this game, I'm looking and saying, okay – that's a good performance. And it would be it would be good regardless because, I mean, Northern Illinois last year, they didn't just do this to Utah. They beat BYU 7-6 to six in a baseball score. 
Like they 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 took it to Florida State. They made Florida State work. Florida State won that game 37-19. And then they have a bunch of it's like Herm Edwards coaches this Northern Illinois team. They're in every single game. They beat Central Michigan by eight. They beat Eastern Michigan by three in overtime. They beat Ohio by three. They beat Akron by ten. Like every single game was close. They lost to Miami of Ohio by six. And so it's just the style that they play. If you're if you're going to go out and be the one team in the last couple of years to really lay out Northern Illinois, then we can maybe start talking about the fact that you're for real. Ooh, that's a good point, Ralph. That is a really good point because team they are the they are the Mac version of Utah. Like there's no just house <laughs> in them. You know they're they're like they are just a gang fight, a street fight waiting to happen. Knock down, drag out, fight. They are the boxer who with no that doesn't have good head movement. That just gets in there and brawls. They're not Floyd Mayweather. They're not Roy Jones Jr. They are the dude who gets in there. They are uh, Arturo Gotti. They just get in there and mix it up and play rock'em sock'em robots. Whoever wins, whoever's the toughest wins, and that's Utah. And they are they are not Byron Howard. Are they going to cover the spread? No, no. I mean I, that that would be a huge surprise to me. That'd be the biggest surprise of the weekend to me is if if Oregon or if uh, keep saying Oregon because I'm so excited to talk about. It. But like I, it would be the biggest surprise of me uh, for me to see Utah like win by four touchdowns. All right, uh, the another twelve thirty game we got Nebraska versus travels to Colorado. Last year Colorado snuck into Lincoln, got a win. Adrian Martinez, the Nebraska quarterback, got hurt. Nebraska is favored by three and a half points. And if I'm in this game, unfortunately, Pac-12 Apostle fans, I have to take Nebraska. I think that they are turning a corner and that that Scott Frost has his team headed in the right direction. The only bad news is, the only bad news is the fact that last week, Nebraska played Southern Alabama. And Southern Alabama's played a bunch of people close, but they were able in the third quarter score a couple touchdowns and they were able to keep the game in respectable fashion. Nebraska only won 35-21 and they added a late touchdown. I, this could be a high-scoring game. This could be a really high-scoring game. Uh, I think it'll be fun. I'm with you um, in that I think that I don't think Nebraska is as good as some people do. Nebraska's not back as some people like to say. But I do think that they're trending upward. I love the over of the 64. I love taking the over on that. I think this is a game that can end up being 35-28 or something like that or, or 42-35 in favor of, uh, in favor of Nebraska. I, I kind of look at this like the Oklahoma State-Oregon State game. Of Even if it looks like Colorado's in it, it's because they're down two touchdowns and they score to get down one touchdown. Um, they're just going to have to prove that they can stop somebody. Nebraska likes to, to – uh, I mean, they are multifaceted on offense, and I think that that's going to be a problem for for Colorado. Colorado is going to be a little bit more successful around one-dimensional teams. Um, but if Montez doesn't make any mistakes, like if, if he doesn't turn the ball over, then you have every reason to believe that Colorado can compete to win this game. But as it stands right now, I'm genuinely surprised that that line is not a little bit higher on Nebraska's end, maybe five and a half or six and a half. See, I was thinking that too. But the odds makers are typically, you know, they typically do a very good job. But sometimes with these huge lines, like last week, Tennessee was favored by 25 points and they lost. They lost. I mean, but that was a horrendous loss. I'm ex- I'm excited to see Lavishka Chenault have a big game because he's going to need to have a big game for Nebraska to win. And Steven Montez made no mistakes last week. And he's kind of known and regularly makes these bonehead plays sometimes you're like really did you just do that and hopefully he does not have any of those this week Uh, the next game up is a very intriguing game to me because me and my family have season tickets to ucla and it's normally like my family goes to about 90 percent of the games but i attend you know some of them when when possible when i'm in town all this and there's a guy who played for the Miami Dolphins, who I know, who played at San Diego State. His name is J.R. Tolliver. 
and I just saw him. And Jr. all this was in the offseason. He was like, San Diego State's going to beat UCLA. They're going to beat them. I, I, we may lose our first game to Weber State, but then we're going to come back and beat UCLA. And then I, and then looking at how UCLA performed, uh, and well, considering that San Diego State gave Stanford trouble last year and then beat them the year before that, I think. UCLA just lost to Cincinnati two years in a row. And I was sitting here like, I looked at the line. UCLA is favored by seven and a half. I don't know what the math on this is, Ralph. I don't know what the math is because San Diego State barely slipped by Weber State, I think. So that may be it, but I don't see it. I do not see UCLA winning by seven and a half points. They only beat Weber State six to zero. So yeah, I, I think I just that don't see San Diego State is having sort of a down year as far as being dynamic on the offensive side of the ball. Ryan Agnew can make a big throw, but he's not like a consistent quarterback who can move the ball down the field. So what they want to do is they want to give the ball to Jawan Washington 30 times. And they will give the ball to Jawan Washington 30 times if you let them stick around in the game. If you if I tell you this right now. If UCLA can even get a 10-point lead in this game and you put Ryan Agnew in position to have to throw on UCLA's defense, it could get real ugly real quick. But guess what? UCLA hasn't shown the ability to do anything either. Outside of one long you know, uh, play by Felton last week, looked like a pretty uh, stagnant offense overall. And so they're going to have to put in a couple of surprises, a couple of new wrinkles, something that maybe um, San Diego State hasn't seen before. But Rocky Long calls this defense. You're not going to surprise him. He's been around forever. Like you said, he beat Stanford. They should have beat Stanford last year. Like that game got away from San Diego State in the fourth quarter, but it, they looked like the better team in the first half. They beat Arizona State. I mean, just flat out came out and beat up on them. And so, I mean, you're not going to surprise Rocky Long. This is an offensive mastermind versus a defensive mastermind, but neither one of them really has the tools to, to be exactly what they want to be right now. And so I would say if UCLA comes out and they, they can put up – they could just score in the first quarter, that would go a long way into making me think they could win the game. UCLA needs a big game out of Dorian Thompson-Robinson. He needs a bounce-back game. Eight for 26, 156 yards, two touchdowns, two picks, two ugly picks, and two ugly fumbles, untouched fumbles. He's only completing 30% of his passes in the first game. Um, if Joshua Kelly is back at running back, I think that will help UCLA significantly because Demetric Felton, he did a decent job, 23 attempts, 71 yards, but then he was also their leading receiver too with two catches for 91 yeah. yards. And I just want to I want to so congratulate all the Kobe fans in LA who now have somebody else who can go eight for 26. Ralph? How dare how freaking dare you take shots at the Black Mamba? How dare you? I am I am that Kobe fan, just so you know. And I will I'm willing to blow up this entire episode of Back 12 Apostles just over a Kobe, uh just over a Kobe disc? How dare you throw rocks at the throne? But see you know what? Because you got us recording at 5.30 in the morning. You got these Pac-12 kickoff times. <laughs> you know, podcast recording. I haven't had my coffee. I'm grouchy. And for some reason, I'm taking shots at Kobe Bryant five years after he retired. Oh, hey, hey, he's on his way to the Hall of Fame. But people are always trying to take shots at Kobe. I will not stand for it. UCLA wins this game. Actually, and and I am going because I am going to double down. On my UCLA prediction, they will win this game and they will cover and they will shut your ass up, Ralph, about them going one and eleven. Just so you know, I mean they'll they'll shut me up when they get a second win this year. So I'll still talk my stuff if they if they beat San Diego State. But I mean that'll be the one win if they if they do. And then they'll come out and beat Oklahoma next week. I'm joking. I'm that joking. would that would be huge. Honestly, like that would be the most fun thing to happen this whole year. Oh, that would be the most Chip Kelly thing ever. <laughs> uh, next game, another snooze fest. Oh, and also, if you are a Washington State fan and you listen to this podcast, you listen to the Pac-12 Apostles, this is for you, buddy. You guys are playing Northern Colorado. There's not even a line on this game. 
Last week you played New Mexico State, one of the worst teams in the FBS. And I'm sitting here, and then people had, Ralph, Washington State fans had the nerve to be mad at me at where I had them placed in the Pac-12 power rankings for week two. Had the nerve, oh, because I said I was unimpressed by their performance. And they were like, oh, we had the most efficient offense in the country last, in right now. Yeah, you played New Mexico State, you won 58 to 7. What do you want me to gain from that? You played a team that everybody, everybody in the top 50 would blow out. And you played with Anthony Gordon at quarterback who nobody has seen. He may be great, but we don't know yet. But all these teams want credit for playing a bunch of nobodies. And now they're playing Northern Colorado and want credit for that. I had, When I looked at the schedule, it said UNCO. UNCO. I was like, I had to click on it to figure out who UNCO was. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not going to hate on Northern Colorado too much. I'm, you know, that you're getting a little bit close to like the area where I'm from, and and but I I was very surprised to find out that they uh, a few years ago that they were going to be playing D1 football. That, that's for sure. So, I mean, you you go from you know playing a team that has one bowl win in the last 60 years or whatever in New Mexico State to, to Northern Colorado. I don't think this is going to do much to make them better as a team if they want to go out and just run their offense like it's a seven-on-seven seven and everybody wants to be impressed by the numbers. Um, you know, I, the wins that matter are the ones that come in conference. The wins that matter are, are you ever going to get an Apple Cup? So do you think this prepares you for Washington? If the answer is yes, then go ahead and be satisfied. And if, if no – you know, you got you got to look at maybe scheduling some some tougher teams so that you can get over that hump. Um, you know, Mike Leach. I'll, this doesn't even prepare him for Houston. No, and next let's week. talk about preparation. Let's talk about preparation because do you know what Mike Leach has time to do when they play teams like Northern Colorado? He has time to spend all day long on Twitter bashing Texas Tech for not paying him his salary in 2009, which is what he did this week. He spent all week so far, tweeting about 10 years ago at Texas Tech. And then this dude had the audacity to tweet like, hey, you know, focus on the big things in your life. Obviously, obviously, <laughs> yeah, obviously Northern Colorado is not a big thing in his life. And so fans shouldn't expect us to respect the schedule if Mike Leach has time to spend as much time on Twitter as I do. Exactly. 100% agree with you. You know, prep presidents and ball coaches only need to tweet so much and and how about this <laughs> is there any other coach in the entire country that could get away with what mike leach does this week he tweeted no. he tweeted a picture of a trash and homeless tent filled california beach and he's like good thing you guys banned plastic straws okay 40 of the players 4-0 on washington state's roster are from the state of california they're not beating long beach city community college without those 40 players and he, he is there any other coach in the country that could make fun of the state where they get all their players from? Okay, okay, I will I will answer that question with a question. Is there any other coach that could be as talented and have the success that Mike Leach has that can't get other big time jobs? Uh well this is this is why. Well he was linked to <laughs> he was linked to Tennessee, right? But I, I think and Yeah, LinkedIn yeah, but LinkedIn, it's his quirkiness, if you call it, or this type of stuff that prevents him from getting the Tennessees, the USC's, the, you know, the other big name jobs that he should be a prime candidate for. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he he's weird for sure. He's he's probably the most famous person from my home state, him and Dick Cheney. And they are both, uh, they're, they're both characters. He's from uh, Cody, Wyoming. I think he went to law school and then never used his law degree, became a football coach instead. And uh, I've, I've just always sort of watched him with a little bit of curiosity. And I've never really liked how the media is just in love with him because he makes their jobs more interesting. Like, I, I have one of my four kids makes my day more interesting every single day. But that doesn't mean the stuff he does to make the day more interesting is appropriate or that he'll be successful later in life if I don't put a stop to, you know, him deciding to, like, you know, lick the frost off the back of the 
the the frozen food aisle window or something like that. Like at some point, you got to stop doing what you're doing so that you can be successful later on. And I just I hate how journalists kind of always give him a pass. And I know there's a huge caveat because he got fired for something he didn't really even do out at Texas Tech. But I hate how they kind of just give him a big a pass because he's funny. Like the pressure needs to be on him. He's super high paid. Yep. He he has not beat Washington yet. Like that, why doesn't he get the same scrutiny that Jim Harbaugh does at Michigan for never it's, beating Ohio State? What are you talking about, dude? It's Michigan. It's Michigan with Heisman trophies and national championships and Washington State, who, when Mike Leach took the job, was considered the worst job in all of college football in terms of the Power Five schools. The worst job. And he's just done a reclamation project there. So he's done a good job. Next game up, 23 and a half point favorite Oregon Ducks, who are now ranked 16th. They only fell 11 spots in the poll which was a big testament to the respect that they were able to garner because in the loss to Auburn, because ordinarily when Pac-12 teams lose, whoever they lose to, especially if they lose to the SEC or Big Ten, those teams shoot up the rankings and the Pac-12 falls like a rock. So how important is this for Oregon to redeem themselves and cover this 23-point line, which they will? Yo, you think they'll cover? You think they'll cover? Okay. Um if they cover, I would be very impressed. I mean, because Nevada played a tough game. Nevada's coached by Jay Norvell, who has a million years of experience as a as a wide receivers coach. He had a pit stop at uh, at Arizona State before taking this job to be the head coach in Nevada. He, they, they took a bunch of players uh, who were sort of Arizona State castoffs. Um, they got Malik Henry out there as I think a backup quarterback or something. So they, he's kind of trying to do the Lane Kiffin thing in Reno, like just bring in a bunch of guys who need a need a second chance or need a, a breath of fresh air. So like the ta- there's some talent there, um, but you know this isn't this. There's definitely not Oregon level talent. Um, I think that what you want to see is you want to see Oregon have the fast start that they had like against Auburn, but not let off the gas. Yeah, Uh, we need to see that. That is crucial, I think, for Oregon. We need to see them keep the pedal to the metal and run people up, blow them out, and have that killer instinct because the team really hasn't had that killer instinct since 2015 when they went to the national championship when they would just – crush people so that has to come back like you have to be able to finish people like we talked about with utah and they just came i mean they just beat purdue and purdue is not purdue's one of those teams that uh takes kind of a while to get going but then they'll challenge some really really good teams this year um and so i I think having that win over purdue is going to really jack this team up if they can do something against oregon then they're going to be thinking hey if we run the mountain west if we beat a Boise State team that beat Florida State, if we beat a Wyoming team that beat Missouri, maybe this is going to be a super special season. So you want to you want to snuff that candle immediately of any hopes and dreams that they have to make this a special season. You want to put twenty one up on the, in the first quarter and then just run your offense and 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 get this week over with. A hundred percent agree with you. And this needs to be a bounce back game, a bounce back and a statement game for the Oregon Ducks. I a hundred percent agree. Game, another game on Pac-12 Network. So, you know, so after a nationally televised game last week, you'll only have, you know, 5% of the country that can turn around and watch the Oregon Ducks who became fans of them. Like, imagine if more people could see this game, you know, the same way that people can see Alabama play the Citadel. You can always find that game. You can always find uh Vanderbilt versus Texas nobody you can always find that game so imagine if that game was just available then people can at least pass by it when they're flipping the chance like oh wow they're killing them oh good job exactly um the night game guys the start of the night games is the is the first Pac-12 matchup and it's interesting because last year Cal beat Washington and that was a surprise upset. People were falling out of their chairs. Unbelievable. And after Jacob Eason's last game, Washington's a 14-point favorite. However, I'm looking at this game, and I know how good Cal's defense is, 
And I'm saying, and people were excited about Jacob Eason. I said, if Jacob Eason can have a good game against Cal's ridiculous defense, especially their secondary, I will be a believer in Jacob Eason and start to buy what you've been selling. Yeah, they just need to be, they just need to be surgical. Like Washington needs to, to make sure that they minimize mistakes. They, they, they take shots that they feel like they can get, come out with scripted plays or whatever, see what works and then feel things out from there. Like this is, this is going to be a true test of just how good the Washington coaching staff is because they're going to have all of the advantages, right? They're going to be, um, in Seattle, the crowd's going to be super live that you, you've got the better quarterback. Um, you, you've, you're coming off a week where you performed a lot better, uh, against a team that is probably better than the team that, that Cal did not perform well against. Uh, so you've got sort of all the momentum in your, you know, at your back, but why would you want to be complacent or ride on that in any way if Cal gave Chris Brown the ball 36 times 38 times with two catches last week you know they're probably going to try to muddy this game up too so you're just going to have to be methodical you want to see long drives from Washington where there's a payoff at the end if they got to get field goals they got to get field goals but what you need is points you don't want to get into a situation like you like Cal was in last week where it's close and then all of a sudden Cal figures it out at the end of the game and starts finding ways to move the ball. Cal's got a mobile quarterback, so I mean, it, you can't you won't be able to get after him as well as as I think. So maybe drop a couple extra in the coverage and see if you can make him uh you know, try to run the ball a little bit and punish him a little bit and get him uncomfortable. Um I don't know. I think that this is going to be something that as long as Washington does everything they need to do and they're methodical about it, they can get out with a good, clean win over Cal. They should be able to. But after what happened last year, um, you never know. You just you you just never know. You're not going to you're they're not going to go out and score 50. So like this, this needs to be this needs to be like an NFC East NFL game of where, you know, it's 24 17. But that seven points feels like a lot more because, you know, you you were able to move the ball. They weren't able to move the ball. So so will will. So you think Washington will win this? I game. do think that Washington. I don't think Washington has any reason not to. It would be it would be a bigger upset for me. They didn't have a reason not to last yeah, year. But I think I think being at home, um, I I would be more surprised if they lose this year than I was last year because you see California coming like you can't not be prepared for how good this defense is and if you are that's a hundred percent on you like this can only go bad for Washington all the expectations are on their side to be the elite team in the Pac-12 they're the ones that didn't struggle to handle their opponent um, in week one and they are at home this is huge and and if you're Jacob Eason like you're going to get the best secondary that you'll probably face this year. You're going to get them right off the bat. Like this is your chance to prove that you are who some people think you are. My prediction is Washington wins this game on a late field goal. There's no chance they cover. They're not going to beat Cal by 14 points unless Chase Garbers is a turnover machine. If he doesn't turn the ball over, if he's not just a a pinball machine squirting out, or a vending machine just squirting out the football just squirting out turnovers aside from that, because Cal had a bunch of fumbles in week one. I think they had four fumbles by, by four different people. So you're, well, one of them was a team fumble, but you're just sitting there like, okay, so if they don't do the right things, how on earth are they going to, you know, if they don't turn the ball over, then Cal can win. Cal can be in this football game, but they don't have the offensive firepower. And I don't know if they get up early because if Cal gets up like, you know, off a turnover, a fumble six or something, kickoff return, if they get up like 14-0 or 10-0, it's going to be hard on Washington. Here's my favorite thing about this game. UCLA and San Diego State combined for 20 total points last week, and their over-under is 45 and a half, right? Cal and Washington's is 42 and a half. Like people expect this game to just be a dog uh, fight. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I mean, I like that over. I think I think they'll cross that threshold. But it just uh, if you look at the San not Diego so State fast, UCLA, my friend. Oh, okay. Did you see Cal scores last year? 
I did. Dude, yes, they, they were they were winning games twelve to ten. Yeah, I am <laughs> not putting this game. I would not take the over in this game because I don't know if cap because if the over hits, Washington wins by fourteen points. If the That's under perfect. hits, if the under hits, no chance they win by fourteen points. Next game up, I think the most intriguing game of the weekend is USC and Stanford. Stanford travels down to the Coliseum. USC is without JT Daniels. Uh, they have Slovis, I think, starting at quarterback. Jack Sears is trying to weasel his way back in, uh, in into the program and into the good graces. And Stanford, KJ Costello went out. We talked about it on the last podcast with the concussion. But reports that I have heard from people who are very close to the Stanford program believe he'll be able to play this weekend, that he'll practice, I think, today a little bit. And barring any setbacks, he should play. And with that, I I don't see a way Stanford loses. I do not see a way Stanford loses this game. the, The spread on this is one and a half points. And after the way Stanford played against um, Northwestern, who has a really good defense, they were able to salt the game away. Essentially won 10 to 7. You know, it was 17 7. They added that late touchdown. You know, I, USC has weapons at wide receiver, but I don't know how they get them to football. And Stanford's defense is better than they were last year. They have a good defense again. I, I don't see any scenario where this goes well for USC. I don't agree. I don't agree. I have USC winning this game. Um, and I, th- <laughs> oh man, betting on Clay Helton makes my stomach turn. Like I can just feel it right now. Like, uh, but here's the deal. Run the football. I think that Stanford could be vulnerable if you pound the rock. And I'm talking like 40 carries. 40 carries. Make sure that Slovis only has to throw 16 or 17 times. You know you've got those weapons on the outside, and so maybe they'll make a big play. But I, I love uh, I love the idea of Stephen Carr and uh, and Vivai Malapai like getting just get the ball to them over and over and over and over again. Keep the game close and give yourself a chance because if if KJ Costello isn't a hundred percent. And Walker Little's not out there. Like your your defense, you're just going to be able to try to pressure the quarterback all day. Um, I, I don't think that Stanford's going to be able to run the ball all that well, and so they're going to be forced to try to go down the field against USC's talented defensive backfield. Try to make a play on defense, and then keep yourself from getting had on offense by just feeding the running backs over and over and over again. So I, I think I don't think anybody's scared of you of USC's defensive backs. You know, aside from the kid from Oregon, ah oh man, the kid who was a freshman last last year, Hafunga. Yeah, I, here's what I would say. Aside from him, like they don't have anybody scary in their secondary. Their best player is Steven Rector, and then it's like three slots down, and then you start counting everybody else. I would say that I think that David Shaw is scared of just being a passing team. So regardless of who USC defensive backs are, I think that David Shaw has made the passing game the boogeyman. And so, I mean, if they're not able to run the ball, they're going to have to throw, and they have somebody talented in K.J. Costello who can get it done. But just something in me believes that USC can run to victory in this game. And and I know – I do not believe that. I do not believe – after the way that Northwestern – I granted, USC has a different type of athlete than Northwestern. I just think that Stanford is going to line up and say, I double-dog dare you freshman freshman man, Slovis – to throw it over our head. And we're going to try to confuse you with some coverage, get you in long yardage situations because they're going to go all out to stop the run. And then as soon as they get in third down, third down, they're going to throw exotic coverages at this freshman. And it is going to end in incompletions and a couple picks. I, if they, I think the Stanford's going to focus on stopping the run. And if they do that, they are going to win this game. Ah man, that the, you see, you've convinced me, but I gotta see, stay. I, just I gotta, you. See, exactly. I gotta stay on my side of the street just, just for the sake of of 
it, what if I'm right? <laughs> and so, what if you're right? That's yeah. funny. Um, um, we have two Arizona schools playing, and it's not Arizona and Arizona State. We got Northern Arizona traveling to Tucson to go play Arizona. And Northern Arizona beat Montana State last week, 37 to 23. And Ralph, you are an Arizona man. You can tell me about this game. I know nothing about Northern Arizona. And what I know about Arizona is that they lost Hawaii last week. So <laughs> well, well, uh, two, two weeks ago. And I'm yeah. saying, I mean, is this a game that they could lose? I don't know. Well, anywhere, anyone that actually is making a spread for this game has U of A minus 10. How crazy is that? Minus 10 at home against an FCS school. Like, that's that doesn't look good for your program. Um, I will say this. Uh, NAU has a guy named Case Cookus who is in his, like, eighth year at quarterback there. Um, he has 8,000 passing yards. He might get another 8,000 on Saturday night. Um, I'm going to go. Uh, I expect I expect NAU to be able to move the ball a little bit and score, but it's still NAU versus Arizona. Like that's not just your little brother; that's like the accident baby that happened when you were when you were. You're 19. the own break baby. You're the own. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So like that's that's the one where you got the twenty year gap between the oldest and the and and, and the youngest to where like the oldest could be a guardian. Like, <laughs> that's, so, that, that's what's going on in my house right now. We yeah, have a 19 year old and an infant. Exactly. So like, I, I wouldn't expect that infant to be able to take your 19 year old. And I don't expect NAU to be able to take Arizona. I'm concerned that NAU is somebody who moves the ball really well. Aaron Flugrad, former Oregon and ASU wide receiver is their offensive coordinator. Robin Flugrad's helping out down there. He's got a long history as a very, very good uh, head coach. Um, and you got, you know, former, uh, former Arizona State defensive coordinator, former Memphis uh, defensive coordinator Chris Ball as their head coach. Like they've seen enough of the University of Arizona to know exactly what what is going to happen. But guess what? U of A has. You can guess. Kevin Sumlin. Oh come on now, the, the, uh, Khalil. Khalil Tate Amson. Yeah, and, and guess what? I'm gonna dr- I'm driving my two oldest kids. So this is how you know my relationship with Khalil Tate's getting serious. So I'm taking my kids to meet him. So you, I'm I'm going down there on Saturday night. We're gonna, wow. We're gonna we're gonna watch uh, University of Arizona get a win, uh, and I'm gonna see a lot of the players that I covered in high school on both sides of the football. So um, I'm excited about that. But I will say that it shouldn't be close. And it would be kind of cool to see Khalil Tate duplicate his numbers from last week. Back-to-back 350-plus yard passing game and 100-plus yard rushing game would be a lot to keep him in the national conversation as far as just the numbers go. Ralph, you are wishful. I mean, you are hoping against hope right now. <laughs> you, you, you some kind of way think that there will be some sort of Khalil Tate 30 for 30 coming out of this season. It's not happening. Well, it's not happening. If I make it, it'll happen. <laughs> will anybody buy it will be the question i'm the executive producer yeah yeah 30 for 30 with 30 people watching that's what it'll be called <laughs> um the last game on the pac-12 slate i think this is an interesting game first of all utah got two i'm sorry hawaii got two pac-12 teams to visit the island in one year so and Arizona clearly went over there for a vacation. They forgot that they were supposed to play a football game. And Oregon State got absolutely demolished, wrecked, and beat up by the Cowboys of Oklahoma State. They head to Utah. The Rainbow Warriors are sitting there, a six-and-a-half-point favorite. A Mountain West team is a six-and-a-half-point favorite over a Pac-12 team. I I I am... I promise you, I promise you, uh, Ralph, this is going to be a game that is Hawaii is going to win this game. Really? I, I, did you see Oregon State against uh, Oregon State against Oklahoma State? I did. Oklahoma State had 600 yards of total offense. They rushed for, I think, off the top of my head, three, if I remember, 352 yards on over 50 carries and four touchdowns and then they threw 
for another, like the quarterback only had like four or five incompletions that, that the quarterback from Oklahoma State, Sanders, and he threw three touchdowns. He almost had a perfect quarterback rating. I'm sitting here like there is, and Hawaii, after watching what they did to Arizona, who's better than Oregon State, I don't see any way that Oregon State wins this game. I don't see any way because um, Arizona at least had the threat of Khalil Tate running the ball. Jake Lutton and Gebbia, neither one of them can run. Jamar Jefferson, they're going to load up to stop him. And Hawaii's going to win this game, bro. I'm picking Hawaii. I'm going to tell you the guaranteed money is Oregon State plus six and a half. That That is your lock. That is your guaranteed money. Oregon State's going to run the football like Arizona forgot to. Hawaii is not going to run the football because they don't they don't have the discipline that Mike Gundy and Oklahoma State had. And you're going to see Oregon State consistently move the ball on this Hawaii team. People are only looking at the result of that Hawaii game. They're not looking at the fact that Hawaii turned the ball over six times. They're not looking at the fact that Hawaii switched quarterbacks in the middle of the game. Why did a lot to give that game away? Arizona just didn't do anything to help their own cause. I don't see Oregon State as being inefficient on offense. If you give them extra chances, they're going to score the football. And this might end up being like a 50 to 40 game, but I think Oregon State goes and, and, and gets this win. That was not a good Hawaii team that beat Arizona. That was a Hawaii team that did everything they could to lose that game, and Arizona just wanted to lose more. <laughs> and that's where we're at right now, Ralph. I think that this is a situation to where that that they can't lose this game. Oregon State cannot lose this game. It is crucial. It is a big deal to the conference. And if Oregon State loses this game, then guess what, Ralph? Guess how many games that they are going to win in 2019 if they lose this game? A grand total of one. I, I don't know how they... If they lose to Hawaii, the only game that they're going to win is... UCLA. Stop it, dude. <laughs> they, I, I had to look to see who CP was on their schedule next week. It's Cal Poly. You guys, this is the Pac-12 Apostles Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We appreciate your time. Appreciate your energy. From me and Ralph, please share it with a friend. Sharing is caring. Tell a friend about it. Write it down. Visit unafraidshow.com. A lot of these topics that we talk about are on there. Articles about them. Appreciate your time. Appreciate your energy. Peace out. Catch you on Monday.